My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to Episode 9 of Season 5 of the 21st Century Creative. Today, I'm going to share with you a remarkable story that will be of special interest to those of you who want to build a successful business around your creative talent. My guest is Crystal Lauk, an illustrator who took an unconventional path by creating illustrations for tech companies and founding a studio that counts Google, Uber, Facebook, and the New York Times among its clients. It's a fascinating story of discovery and enterprise at what Crystal calls the intersection of delight and clarity through illustration. And she gives us a peek behind the curtain at what it takes to land big-name clients for a small creative studio. So, if that's one of your ambitions for your business, pay close attention to what Crystal has to say on the subject. On a personal note, my poetry collection continues to advance at glacial pace. It's at the stage where it's 95% done, and I'm tweaking the existing poems and adding a new poem here and there. I have something called the spectrum of perfectionism that I sometimes use with coaching clients where you basically decide how perfect you want a particular project to be. And this one is definitely at the as perfect as possible end of the spectrum. So I will no doubt keep working on it until I find a publisher and they tell me to stop because it's going to press. And I think it's really important to know where each of your projects are on this spectrum, between good enough and perfect because that's one of the things that dictates how much time and effort you should expend on it. So, before we get to the interview with Crystal, I want to share with you something I've found myself saying to coaching clients many times over the years that's helped to relieve a lot of frustration and anxiety on the journey to completing a big creative project. Every creative project is a revolving door. A lot of productivity advice tells us we need to stop procrastinating, beat resistance, and get things done. The Americans love to talk about shipping, meaning finishing something and sending it out into the world. This emphasis on getting things done and out to market is part of their extraordinary entrepreneurial culture. Famously, Guy Kawasaki even said, it's okay to ship crap, as long as you keep innovating and fixing the problems with the first version of your product. At the opposite end of the spectrum to shipping crap, we find the perfectionists. These are the people who say it's important to slow down, to take your time, and do the best job you can. If a job's worth doing, they say, it's worth doing well. So who is right? It partly depends on your personality. You probably already know if you have more difficulty with perfectionism or patience. If you're a perfectionist, you have trouble letting something go and getting it out of the door. So if this is you, it makes sense to focus on pushing harder by shipping something that is good enough for now. On the other hand, if you're impatient and slapdash, you could probably do with slowing down and taking more care, and maybe getting some good feedback before you release your latest work. But it's not all about you. Sometimes it's more about the work itself. Because every creative project has a rhythm and a momentum of its own. Some projects naturally seem to want to move fast. For example, my book, 
21 Insights for 21st Century Creatives, started as a long blog post that I wrote in a single burst. When I realised that article had struck a chord with my readers, I turned it into a book. And I challenged myself to keep every chapter short, to get to the point, to give the reader an insight and stand back and see what they did with it, and not over-explain or give them every little step. I then published it as an ebook and shared it quickly, which meant I got it into readers' hands and they got the benefit as soon as possible. My poetry collection, on the other hand, is another matter entirely. Some of the poems are over a decade old. None of them were written in a single draft or even less than five drafts. Over the years, I keep revisiting the poems, reading and rereading them, spotting things I missed the first time or even the 50th time. Things that don't quite work, things that could be better, things that will help the poem to really sing. And it's not about perfectionism in the negative sense. It's about taking the time to really listen to the poems, really look at them, and see if I can bring them into the light just a little more. So, each of these two books has its own speed and momentum that's independent of me. It would be disastrous if I tried to rush the poetry and pointless to spend years revising the 21 Insights book. I come across this a lot with coaching clients. Sometimes they're procrastinating and they need encouragement and deadlines to get down to work. Other times, they're in too much of a rush. They're trying to push the work or force it to completion when they really need to slow down and take their time. So, if they're struggling to find the right approach, I tell them, every creative project is a revolving door. I'm thinking about those big glass revolving doors you find at the entrance to big important glass-fronted buildings. If you're in a hurry, maybe because you're late for a meeting and you try to rush inside by pushing the door, what happens? The door grinds to a halt and an alarm starts beeping and someone comes out from behind the desk to give you a telling off. So by rushing, you've made yourself later than you needed to be. Or maybe you're taking your time, you're dawdling along, looking at your phone or thinking of something else. What happens then? The door comes up behind you and gives you a nudge. You'd better start moving. So, next time you're getting frustrated by a project that feels like it isn't happening fast enough, stop for a moment and take a good look at the work. Will pushing harder really get it done faster? Or is it time to accept that this is a slower-moving project? Could it benefit from taking more time and maybe moving a deadline back? Or getting feedback and input from a trusted colleague before you move forward again? Or on the other hand, if you think you have all the time in the world to complete your project, have a look at the calendar and ask yourself if that's really the case. Is it maybe time to pick up the pace? and eject a little urgency into your process? Whichever it turns out to be, your work will become easier and also more rewarding when you adjust the pace of your work to the speed of your project's invisible revolving door. One of the themes I keep returning to in this podcast is the idea that the times we're living in are a two-edged sword. On the one hand, we're living in an age of unprecedented creative stimulation via the internet, social media, accelerating technology, and an always-on working culture. And on the other hand, we're living in an age of unprecedented distraction from focused creative work from all the same sources. And the biggest concern for many creatives is a nagging sense that their most important work is being left undone. If you're excited by the opportunities of the creative age, but worried about the effect of all those digital distractions on your creativity, then I've written a book for you, 
Productivity for Creative People. It's a short, practical guide to getting creative work done in the 21st century, based on my own experience as a writer, creative entrepreneur, and father. All the ideas in the book have been road-tested in my coaching practice with creative professionals like you. So, if you want to create extraordinary work without necessarily disappearing to a cabin in the woods or even giving up your smartphone, check out Productivity for Creative People at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash productivity. That's 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash productivity. When we think of illustration, probably the first thing that comes to mind is a children's book. And we've already featured a wonderful children's book author and illustrator, Nadia Shireen, back in season four of the 21st Century Creative. But my next guest has found a very different canvas for her work as an illustrator. Crystal Lauk is the founder of Crystal Lauk Studios in San Francisco, and her illustrations can be found on the web pages and the apps of Google, Uber, Facebook, Intercom, and other tech companies, as well as in publications such as the New York Times and Fast Company. Crystal's work has been recognized by American Illustration, the Society of Illustrators, and 3x3 magazine. Operating at what she calls the intersection of delight and clarity through illustration, she and her team help communicate complex ideas and brand values in an attractive and engaging way. For example, they help their tech clients make their products and platforms feel more human and user-friendly, using illustrations to enhance the look and feel of websites, apps, and internal communication systems. Crystal is really opening up new territory as an illustrator, both creatively and in terms of business opportunities. So she's a great example of taking a traditional artistic skill and applying it in new ways. So I invited her onto the show to tell us about her journey as an illustrator and creative entrepreneur, from developing her artistic style through happening upon her first clients in the tech space and eventually founding her own studio to fulfill her ambitions and serve her clients on a bigger scale. The result is a fascinating conversation about her journey of discovery, where she explains what illustration can do that other media can't when it comes to humanizing technology. She also gives us a peek behind the curtain when it comes to landing big-name clients. So, if that's something you would like to do, listen out for Crystal's advice. And I warn you, it takes a bit of courage. Whatever your own creative discipline, I'm sure you'll find plenty of food for thought in this conversation with Crystal Lauk about carving out an original path as a 21st century illustrator. Crystal, when did you get seriously interested in illustration? Well, my gosh, I think from the, be from the very beginning, uh, when I was a kid, um, I was always really fascinated with children's books. I was drawing all the time. And so I think I just knew from kind of the beginning that this is what I wanted to do. Obviously, there were a lot of uh, twists and turns. At one point, I wanted to do anthropology. At one point, I wanted to be a writer. Hmm. Uh, but it always came back to, to illustration. And what was it about drawing or, or painting and specifically illustration? What was it about that form that captured you? I think it was just a really wonderful way to express myself. And it was almost a cathartic for me. Um, I think, you know, growing up very different from my family and, um, and you know, growing up in a, in a town that um, I didn't feel quite... Um, welcome in, I guess. It, it was just a way for me to really express myself and, and really kind of delve down into my, my emotions and my feelings um, and, my, and my journey, really. 
Okay. And you mentioned children's books, which I think is where most of us first encounter Mm -hmm. illustrations and where we get captured. I mean, there's a lot of images really from that age to me are really indelible. But these days, there's a lot of illustration being used by tech companies, which is where you've done a lot of your work. Why is it big online at the moment? I really think that it's big online because, you know, this is this is a way to bring humanity, to bring that expression um, onto onto the interface. You know, I, I like to say, you know, a while back, especially when I got started as a UI UX designer, you know, um, everyone was still kind of trying to figure things out. And um, now that we got the technical aspects of you know, apps and websites down, you know, now there's a lot of creative freedom and it's a really great way for companies to really express their brands. And they're finding illustration to be this amazing tool to really be their voice, to express their their mission and vision, um, you know, and uh, and really capture their, their users' um, interest. And I find this really intriguing because on the one hand, illustration, particularly if we think about children's books, it's quite touchy-feely. It's quite charming. It's got a, mm-hmm. a, a sense of innocence and wonder that we associate with it. Yeah. And yet, the other hand, there's an awful lot of business value for companies to, to get this right and to have their yeah. interface to be more engaging than, than the next companies. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really interesting how, uh, you know, even a lot of the first uh, tech company illustrations, you know, if you look back at early Google and um, even a bit now, is that it does mimic a little bit of that kind of children's book (laughs) vibe too. You know, there's an innocence to it, right? Um, You know, and I think that's because that's what companies are are choosing to be. They want to be this kind of utopian you know, positive, uh, positive light, I guess, uh, to the world, um, which I think is quite amazing. You know, um, they're out to kind of do, uh, you know, do good, I think, and, and disrupt and, and make the world better. At least, you know, I think <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, you know, complicated sides to that, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think illustration kind of, kind of, puts that face out there. Yeah, I mean, it is it is a complicated situation at the moment. So, certainly, I think over here on this side of the Atlantic as much as on yours. Mm. But it's not exactly sidestep that, but maybe if, if we focus on the potential here and, you know, the opportunity to channel a lot of the idealism, which I, I'm certainly sure does go into the tech space, what do you think is the opportunity here for to create something great and also specifically what can illustrators bring to the table? I think um, I think illustration. I mean, illustrators can really bring um, you know delight and uh, really kind of communicate a lot of complex concepts. Uh, for example, you know, a lot of when you think of specifically product illustration, um, there's a lot of you know user flows where you know it needs to be engaging to the user but at the same time kind of communicate what they need to do to you know to get on with a certain a certain task you know a certain thing that they're trying to achieve on the app um, and so you might come up with you know these kind of complicated and tangible uh, 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 concepts um, you know for example you know for an onboarding process you know what does that look like um, you know, or a certain kind of product feature. Uh, and so, you know, that's where illustration comes in hand because it really is just this limitless tool uh, where you could really take things, you know, in a very metaphorical way, just run with it and create this whole kind of different world out of that. Yeah, you have this lovely phrase on your website, the intersection of delight and clarity for yes. illustration. <laughs> Yeah, and that's pretty much, I think, boils it down. Uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing, especially for illustration and tech, is, is that it needs to communicate, you know, and I think, especially for editorial illustration, which I think, you know, that kind of runs along a lot of the same veins. Um, that's the biggest thing, and that's our job, is, is to communicate. You know, it's not just a pretty picture. 
um, you know, it, it needs to, it needs to engage and, and, uh, and be, and be clear. And coming back to your personal story, how did you get started as an illustrator? Yeah, so I uh, I grew up in Arizona, and I was going to the state university for um, painting and English literature. And I think a couple of years in, I was like, "What am I doing? <laughs> this is not really going to get me anywhere." Um, <laughs> Little did you know. Yeah, and so I just I knew that I needed to kind of like go to a big city, do the private art school thing, you know. Um, of course, my parents were really not not down for that. Um, and so I had to, had to somehow find a way. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, I visited San Francisco a few times and I just fell in love. And one day when I was in San Francisco, I wandered into um, the Academy of Art uh, industry show and, you know, I was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is some really great work that the school is putting out. Um, and, you know, I saw that it was much cheaper option than, <laughs> than some of the schools that I, that, you know, I, I was really, really into, such as like Art Center. And, um, and so mm-hmm. I found that, you know, okay, maybe this is a way. So, uh, gosh, you know, it took a lot of uh sacrifice and um you know it took me a long time to get through school just because of financial hardship and um you know but I got there and um you know on my last year of uh of school I was still trying to figure out okay what avenue of illustration in the industry you know do I want to pursue you know down the road I've been interested in children's books and animation and editorial illustration, but I couldn't really put my finger on what is it that I really wanted to do. And my style was suffering because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I met this guy (laughs) who is now my husband um, Mm -hmm. and he was in tech and he had a startup. And um, I was like, this is, this is the strangest world. Like, and I was so intimidated by it. Um, yeah, but we started dating, and it was kind of fascinating hearing more about his world. And a friend of his um, got me an internship at a digital agency. Um, you know, and at the time, I was I was a total analog artist. <laughs> I yeah. uh, I did not know a thing about Adobe Suite, um, and so I had to learn um, digital art and UI UX design uh, really quickly, and. Um, and it kind of took off from from there, you know, uh, at the agency, I got to learn more about how it is, you know, working with clients and about the tech world. And, um, and, you know, and I think like, that was kind of my first experience of, you know, where it all where it all started. And it's a truism about creativity, isn't it? That very often the the most interesting things happen where two different worlds come together. And this is certainly a very, an example of that you were a, a complete analog artist with your artistic background, and then you're in this tech space, which is is very different. What was it like making that transition? Yeah, so, you know, at the time, I was was doing mostly painting or pen and ink, and I was doing these really kind of surreal, psychedelic, kind of gothic art, very (laughs) different from what I do now. Um, You know, and I knew that that wasn't commercially viable, uh, but something that really inspired me was learning more about graphic design. And it's not something that I never really delved in before. And I was really intrigued uh, by it. Um, I, you know, I loved the kind of the commercial, uh, kind of almost democratic aspect of graphic design. And I felt that illustration really kind of fit into that too. You know, it's, it's something that invites anybody to understand it. You know, whereas fine art sometimes always doesn't, doesn't do that. Um, and so I think that was kind of like the overall uh, vision that I kind of fell in love with um, in terms of how to apply my, my illustration. Um, and so, you know, I think I set to work finding a lot of um, digital illustrators uh, that I was inspired by. 
um, and kind of started to mold my my style um, into you know into this this new world that I was intrigued by. Um, I I loved the idea, for example, you know, with graphic design of of minimalism and um, you know keeping things really concise. Um, I kind of, I kind of loved that. And it was such a far departure from, you know, what I, uh, Mm -hmm. what I, what I did in the past. Um, so it was refreshing to me. Um, and so that kind of took off from there. Um, my final year, I started creating this very different work and I started getting a lot of attention. Um, I was able to, uh, get a project with several month long project with Facebook, uh, right off the bat, um, you know, off of graduation and shortly after, um, uh, got a project with Uber. And so, so yeah, so that was really kind of exciting. Um, and just, you know, sheer luck <laughs> uh, as well. And what was it like when you realized that this was out there and people were seeing your work and clients were valuing it and it was making a difference to these products it was really exciting because it was just a new way of illustration being utilized um and i loved that because you know i always saw the value of illustration uh but it was also it was always in this very you know traditional way and i think a lot of people still view uh, illustration like that but i think just being such a you know such a proponent of, 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 of illustration and, and seeing it as this, you know, vast limitless communication tool. It was really exciting to kind of like jump on the bandwagon and, and see how these tech companies are using illustration. Um, for example, you know, one of my first uh, projects with Uber was to create storyboards uh, to inspire um, and inform the, uh, the product uh, design team. So you're literally just making comic book style illustrations um, for, you know, how users will, uh, would use a product and, you know, what they might look like. And, uh, you know, and so that was a really great use case. So what you're talking about there, this isn't public customer facing work. Mm-hmm. This is actually mm-hmm. to help the design team in their process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's really interesting. You know, I've had my fair share of kind of, you know, really cool internal projects as well as consumer facing projects. Hmm. So it's really illustration as a tool for kind of prompting and facilitating other people's creativity. Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought about that, it that way, but that is, that's totally true. Because, I mean, I've obviously, I've not, I've not worked on these projects, but I'm guessing there's a lot of complex information that needs to be made simple mm-hmm. and needs to be made, well, ideally delightful, if, uh, but at the very least usable and comprehensible to, to users. So I can imagine that being quite a, you know, a really useful tool to have in, in, you know, in terms of the briefing or the tools that you're, the, the materials that you have to work with as a designer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and just not too long ago, I also... I uh, created a series of uh, posters for a company's uh, values. Um, so that's kind of was another internal uh, project where, you know, it was intended to to inspire and, and motivate um, employees. Uh, you know, I never thought illustration would be a cool use case for that. But um, but yeah, it wasn't. And, uh, and so it's fascinating just seeing all these different avenues that illustration can fit into. Yeah, I remember years ago seeing a blog post by Ben Terrett, who's a designer here in the UK, and he he was just looking at starting work on the UK government's online presence, on you know making the government websites more accessible and user friendly. Mm-hmm. And the analogy he used was he said it's a bit like being asked to design all the road signs in in the country, because you know once you lay down that kind of iconic style then that sets mm-hmm. you know that goes forward i mean it's it's gone you know since we've had proper roads here in the uk as i understand it's been essentially that style so that designer really had a or that design team really had a, a big influence on our everyday lives and i guess that what he was saying in the digital space it's like opening up a whole new plane of opportunity there yeah and i love what you said about you know creating this world because that really is what it is especially when you're delving into uh, brand illustration for a company. So that's a big project that I recently did for a, com- a company out here called Thumbtack. Um, mm-hmm. And, 
so I was responsible for creating the illustration style for the brand. And with that, you really have to build a whole vast world, you know, that works together, that, ap- that can apply to every, everything that they want to communicate within their product or their, um, or marketing. Um, and so that was, that was a really amazing uh, project. And, you know, uh, the, the process there uh, was to, you know, really look into into their mission and their values and their demographic and what they're all about. And what does that look like when you take those concepts and, and, and build it into uh, a visual world? Um, you know, what, what does it operate on? Um, and yeah, so that was a cool, really, really cool project and kind of very similar to, uh, to the example that you, that you gave. Okay, so you graduated from college. You got these really cool projects right out of the gate, Facebook, Uber, mm-hmm. the other startups. At what point did you form your own business? Did, were you a freelancer for a while? I mean, I know now you've got a small agency. Well, how did that side of things evolve? Yeah, so straight out of um, school. So I was, I was at that digital agency uh, doing... UI and UX design um, for about a couple of years, um, and shortly after, yeah, and shortly after school um, ended, I decided to make it out of my own. Especially, you know, having Facebook and Uber under my belt, um, and so I did it for about a year. Um, I was mostly doing some like cra- graphic design work and. Um, to kind of kind of make ends meet, um, and then I got an email from a team at Google, um, and they were interested in me in bringing me on as an illustrator for uh, Google Play, and that was really exciting. And mm-hmm. I loved Google from the start, especially, you know, I I find them to be, um, you know, they were like kind of the forerunners in bringing on illustration, um, you know, especially the the Google Doodles, of course, and bringing yeah, the product. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so I was really excited by that. And uh, so I started, um, yeah, I did that for almost two years. I was an illustrator um, doing a lot of illustrations for their merchandising campaigns on the Google Play Store. Um, that was so exciting because, uh, you know, you got to do these illustrations for lots of different countries all around the world. And so, um, you know, I learned how it was how you needed to be culturally sensitive in your illustrations Mm -hmm. Uh, and, you know, different sensibilities. Uh, Yeah, that was really awesome. Um, But I was really kind of wanting, um, wanted to kind of get out of the big kind of bureaucracy of, of a big company. Um, I was, kind of a full-time contract worker there, uh, which wasn't the greatest setup for me. Um, and so I ventured out on my own and, um, and, you know, it was scary at first and I had like one, (laughs) I had one client, you know, coming out of the door. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, within like two or three months of just, you know, banging on lots of people's doors and signaling that, hey, I'm, I'm open for business, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, work started flowing in. Um, and, you know, a few months in, it started to be so good that for a long time, I kind of had this idea that I, I wanted to someday uh, start an agency. And I had a really good friend who, you know, I would talk to this about. We always talk shop. And he was like, well, if you ever need a guinea pig, I'm your guy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so I decided to, you know, bring him on to my first project and then another and then another. And then, and then I found a couple more illustrators and brought them on to projects and um, learned how to art direct. And yeah, it's been a really cool journey. And what, what would you say has been the most challenging aspect of running the business? I think the most challenging aspect is, um, you know, sometimes you do have the droughts, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's an absolute roller coaster of a ride. Um, you will be absolutely swamped with projects and, you know, working all the weekends and working 15 hour days, 
you know, and then there's nothing. <laughs> and yeah. during the times when there's nothing, you know, you start panicking and, uh, and thinking, oh my gosh, this is it. I, you know, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. But you just have to realize that there is always ebbs and flows. And um, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is to calm yourself down things will happen trust the universe just continue putting yourself out there and uh, and things will happen yeah i like the way you say trust the universe and continue putting yourself out there so we're not we're mm -hmm. not sitting there you know saying that you trust and and they will come to you you are actually reaching out and making this happen right yeah absolutely um you know a way that i like to think about it is you know everything can be a spark of opportunity it's just the way that you that you look at it, you know. Um, and so, you know, I go to a lot of networking events. I email lots and lots of people that I'm interested in, in working with. I follow up with them and follow up with them again. <laughs> um, you know, I I obviously doing podcasts like these um, it helps as well. Um, and so, yeah, you, you know, like anything worth doing, it just, it just takes work. Um, and, uh, and I think, um, you know, one of the biggest lessons that I learned um, is, is always be signaling. Always be signaling that you're open for business, that this is what you do, that this is something that you're really passionate about. Um, you know, and people will see that and I think it will intrigue your potential clients um that this is this is your world and this is something that you know you have this this great knowledge about and and uh and signal how you can help them uh, you know that's the biggest thing it's you know it's a business need okay so how do you signal then so i think i always um you know reach out to someone hey you know like let's grab let's grab a coffee i would love to you know hear more about your company and you know how illustration can can fit into that um uh, you know and uh and so i think you know people really respect that you know just a chance to kind of like sit down and and brainstorm um and just make a conversation out of it so it's a real you know it's very much about direct outreach for you a lot of the time yeah, um, you know, all in all, like this is a people mm -hmm. business. It's all about your reputation, um, and it's all about uh, the connections that you that you make. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I love getting really, really involved with the illustration community here, and um, and uh, and yeah, reaching out to as many people in the tech industry as well, and kind of bridging that gap. So I'm imagining somebody listening to this conversation and being really excited and inspired by the opportunity, you know, whether they're an illustrator or a different type of creative, you know, the opportunity to build something very special and, and original and, and creatively and, and business-wise rewarding. And then maybe their heart sinks when they hear you saying, you've got to reach out, you've got to send that email to a stranger. What would you say to somebody who's, who's feeling a bit nervous about doing that and thinking, do I really have to do that? <laughs> well, yes, you, you really have to do that. <laughs> um, I think all in all, you know, it is all about kind of balancing that entrepreneurial spirit with your creative side. And a lot of times, like, I get it. You know, I'm, um, I'm an introvert at heart that's had to learn to be an extrovert for my business um, to get the work that I love. Um, and so it just takes that little kind of ounce of courage and just, you know, why not just do it? Um, and just be, just be thoughtful, just be human, just be yourself. Um, you know, remember that these are people too who are, you know, hiring people like you because they need to fill a business need. And I think the more that you kind of separate out, um, that from, you know, from this, this passion that is the center of your soul and kind of, kind of also know that it has this other aspect of, of, of being a business, it will allow you to, um, it will allow you to, to do more things like outreach. I love the way you say that you're an introvert who's learned to be more of an extrovert because, I mean, I can say I'm, yeah. I'm absolutely an, an introvert on 
on any kind of scale that you would care to mention. On top of that, I'm a poet. And even worse than that, I'm British. And so what I say to (laughs) clients sometimes is, well, look, if I can do this, then you can do it. I mean, there are some people who are quite happy doing it, but a lot of creatives are introverted because we gravitate to doing things that take a lot of solitary concentration to get it done. In order, yeah, you know, absolutely. you could be the opposite end. You you could be great at reaching out and partying and and networking, but actually find it hard to sit at the desk. So nobody gets a free ride. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, and you have to keep that introverted part of yourself. You know, as you said, you it would be hard to sit at the desk all day and you know really delve in and 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 focus and get in the zone um, if you're just extroverted all the time. And so. So there's a time to be introverted and observe and, you know, and, and be in that world. But then you have to step out of it and put on another hat and do the business side and outreach side um, as well. And how do you manage that transition or, the, you know, those two roles so that they don't interfere with each other? It's difficult. And sometimes they, sometimes they do. And uh, hmm. it, it takes a little bit of discipline, to be honest. Um, I think just being, just knowing how to manage your time, um, you know, a great thing for me is to set aside, you know, specific amounts of time that I will, uh, I'll commit to, to outreach, um, you know, and you almost get into a particular kind of zone when you do that. And then, you know, if you have a whole day when, where you don't have any meetings, you don't have any events, or you don't have any, you know, um, times when you're talking to strangers on a podcast, <laughs> then, um, <laughs> then that's your time to, you know, really kind of sit down and, and be your introverted self and really delve in, get into that, you know, that yummy kind of uh, zone time. Yeah, I like, I really like that idea of, you know, that you can get into the outreach just as much as you can get, maybe get into flow when you're doing a piece of illustration. I think, I think it's David Allen who says somewhere, you know, if you batch all your most difficult phone calls, then you don't have to work yourself up, to, you know, to make the call every time. You know, you work yourself up to do the first one and then you do that and then you do the next one and the next one and the next one while you're in, you know, uncomfortable phone conversation mode. And then, you, you know, you've blitzed yeah, through it exactly. and you've got the rest of your day or the rest of your week even to get back to doing the things you enjoy the most. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing about, about business, I think, I think that's the hardest thing about, about business um, and, and building your own business, running your own business, is not so much, you know, oh, how to fill out W-9s or whatever. It's, um, you know, or budgeting or, yeah. you know, what have you. It's, it, it's actually the psychological part of it and um, and the hat switching <laughs> that's going on. Yeah. Um, it just takes work, just takes, uh, you know, discipline. Yeah, a bit like the, you know, the artistic side of things, huh? Because, you know, if, if it was not emotionally demanding to sit there and produce brilliant illustrations and learn the skill or to write a book or whatever it would be, a lot more people would be doing it. Yeah. And it's the same on the business side, that very often the emotional, what Seth Godin calls the emotional labor, is the hardest bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, I love Seth Godin. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah he really kind of inspired me into, into this world as well. And he can turn a phrase too. So, okay, <laughs> yes. so we've talked about some of the, you know, the really hard things, the roller coaster of, you know, feast and famine to, to mash up the metaphors a bit. The, um, mm-hmm. the fear of reaching out, overcoming introversion, and so on. Now, tell us a bit about what makes it really worthwhile when you're your own boss and you've got your own company and you're doing the work you love to do. I think the whole, you know, to kind of expand on the metaphor is just, just the whole rock-gathering moss mm-hmm. bit is, is so fulfilling and so gratifying. You know, when um, you're, start, you're starting out so small, you know, like I said a couple of years ago, starting off with, you know, one client and then, and then building that up, building it up more and then having these clients that come to you over and over and over again, um, you know, that's the most like gratifying thing that like, oh, you know, I did a good job and they trust me and they respect me. Um, and, 
that's just the best. And that's just something that you have control over. Um, you know, what you put into it is, is what you get. Um, so that's what, that's something that I, that I love. And you never know what's going to come into your inbox. You know, it's always, it's always an amazing surprise. Um, you know, I, I, I obviously loved the security of a full-time job, uh, but there's some, something just so exciting about like not quite knowing, you know, what the upcoming months are going to hold for you. Um, you know, what clients are going to come through your door, what exciting projects you're going to get. There's so much variety uh and so much to learn too, you know, with every uh, company that I take on, you know, uh, that's vastly different. You're, you're learning about what they do and what they're trying to do for the world um, and, and what they need. And sometimes it requires a, a different style, a different way of thinking. Um, and so that's the most exciting part is, is just the variety and, and, uh, and, and growth. I guess this is the, if you like, the opportunity dividend that you get paid. If you, if you reach out and you put yourself out there, at some point, word gets around, people notice what you're doing, and mm -hmm. then they start coming to you. And as you say, you wake yeah. up and there's a nice email in your inbox with a, an opportunity you would never have thought of. I think the most gratifying thing is when, you know, an email starts with, oh, so-and-so referred me to you. Yeah. Like, yeah, yes, <laughs> that's the best. Okay, so staying with the tech world for a moment, because, I mean, this is something we were talking about earlier on before we, we started the call, is I think there's a, a, a lot of good effort going in to encourage women to get more involved in tech, on, uh, particularly on the coding side, the technical side of things. What's it like as far as illustrators are concerned? Is, how's the gender balance there? Well, I think the, I mean, from my point of view, you know, when I think about the community of illustrators that I have here, um, I think that it, it feels equal parts men and women. I think a lot of the sensi sensibilities um, might be a little bit more uh, male oriented uh, but all in all i think it's it's it, it feels it feels okay for me um you know I, I i see a lot of amazing effort and i see a lot of uh women empowered art being done mm -hmm. by women um as well that's that's really inspiring really cool um you know i'm part of a co-working space uh here called the wing uh they have locations all over uh, the yeah. world really um and so you know that's really i think that's a really great way to kind of uh you know get into the female community and see what a lot of uh you know women are are, are doing and and how they're leading and you know that's always really inspiring i mean a lot of the obviously a lot of the uh, users are going to be female so it, it makes sense to have that diversity represented in, in in the teams that are actually creating the product in the first place oh yeah yeah absolutely you know and i think um of the projects that you know i've been a part of you know for example going back to to thumbtack and considering color palettes for example um all of this is you have to be very mindful of what you're saying with the most subtle of things mm -hmm. um you know, it was like, okay, let's not use too much of that purple. That feels a little bit more feminine. You know, let's not use too much of that blue. That looks, that feels a little bit more masculine. What's that kind of balance? Um, so you can kind of uh, appeal to, you know, as many people, as many different demographics as, as you can. Um, so, you know, all of that needs to be put into consideration. Um, you know, the diversity of your characters, for example, you know, is is so huge, um, you know, making sure that you represent everyone. Because, I mean, again, a lot of these platforms are going to be out, rolled out worldwide. So you've got a lot of different cultures that you're, you've got a touch point with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, but, but that's what's so fascinating about, about illustration is, is that you could, you could fit in all those people and, you know, in different inventive and creative ways. Okay, so coming back to our 
imaginary, but hopefully not imaginary listener, there are quite a few people listening to this who are maybe thinking, that sounds like a really exciting path that Crystal has carved out. I would love to follow that. And of course, there's going to be all the doubts and yes buts in their mind. If somebody's in that position, and, and uh, you know, they could be an illustrator, they could be a different kind of creative. You know, when you look back, what is there that you would like to share with somebody that maybe you wish you'd known when you set out? I think one of the biggest things is, you know, I think going back to the outreach thing, I think the biggest kind of, um, you know, some, something that I would say to myself all the time that helped. And I mean, this is a little, <laughs> this is a little like nerdy because it's just a Nike saying, but just, just do it, yeah. you know, just, um, whatever you, um, you know, you can always kind of see a pathway to, to getting what you, what you need and what you want. And, um, and, and just, just do it. Just take, take the first step. Um, I, I think another thing is, you know, this can be a very isolating, uh, career, (laughs) you know, a lot of the times you, you are, you know, you're very much alone and find, you know, find your community, um, is, is so, so important. And that's been major for me to be able to find a, a really great network of other illustrators, you know, and I have a lot of illustrator friends who, you know, are more in editorial or they're more in concept art or, but there's, there's a lot of similarities, um, you know, within the industries uh, that you could, um, you know, you could talk about and, and relate to, and that helps so much. And so I would find that pronto. Yeah, I think that's really important because it's so easy when you're at home in your own studio or office or, or, or whatever to feel that because I'm struggling, there must be something wrong with me. How come I haven't figured this out? And then you go along mm-hmm. and you meet people who do the same thing. And very often you find, oh, they've all got the same challenge. It's, it's must be an occupational hazard. Exactly. You know, I, if I'm in a room full of poets, I can have conversations with them and find commonalities with them. I wouldn't find anywhere else. Or yeah. Yeah. Same with coaches or podcasters or, or whatever. Exactly. I think another thing is, um, is to just be, be authentic. I, I know that that's, <laughs> that's kind of like what everybody is saying now, but there is a lot of truth to that. I think when I was first starting out, you know, and being paralyzed by, you know, writing these emails or confront, you know, or, or approaching someone, I would just be, I would just be so scared, like, oh, what's the perfect thing to say? And what's the, and, you know, sometimes it's just, like, yeah, just recognizing that people are humans. And I think that's what I'm learning, um, you know, with social media too, is that transparency will actually take you a long way. Um, You know, not the kind of transparency where you're kind of, you know, uh, making someone carry a burden. That's not what I mean. But, um, but being more just, just yourself and not being afraid to, you know, to be quirky or share your ideas or, um, you know, be, be you. Yeah, because, I mean, circling back to what we were saying earlier on about different worlds coming together, I get a real sense that your your quirkiness, your difference from your clients' worlds is actually really key to the, the value that you deliver for them, that you are outside of their uh, tech mindset and you can look at things you know, maybe from more the user end yeah especially you know i'm in the uh, you're in the business of creating an emotion and expression yeah. um and so so you have to you have to show that side of yourself and that's actually the most intriguing part even though it's kind of the most um uh challenging and uh, vulnerable uh, place right yeah because if you don't feel it they won't feel it exactly exactly okay so talking of next steps and, and reaching out i think this would be a good time crystal for you to share your creative challenge with the listener so if this is the first time you've heard this show this is the point of the interview where i ask my guests to set you the listener a creative challenge so this is something that you can do or get started on within seven days of listening to this conversation, and that will stretch you creatively, professionally, and very likely personally as well. So 
Crystal, what's your challenge? So my challenge is, um, you know, you have that client in your mind that you you would really, really love to work for. You know, for example, uh, mine was the New York Times. I heralded the New York Times so much. I really, really wanted to do a project with them. Um, and so, you know, for my example, I... I booked a trip to New York and I emailed as many art directors as possible at the New York Times and some other publications. Um, and just wrote, hey, you know, I'll, you know, I would love to work with you guys. You know, here's my portfolio. Um, I'm actually, you know, we'll be in New York this week. You know, let me know if we can set up a, a time to meet, you know, for coffee. Um, and you know, you reached out to enough people and, um, and I, I got a response and, um, and got to meet with an art director at the New York Times and a couple months later, uh, you know, got a project from them. Uh, so I inspire you to kind of do the same, you know, maybe not take a trip to New York, but just email that, um, that client that you've been wanting to, you know, that you've been paralyzed about. Just be you, just write a thoughtful email um, show your portfolio and why you want to work with them. And if you don't hear back from them, you know, in a couple of weeks, follow up because, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the secret sauce as well <laughs> is, uh, is following up. Um, and yeah, that's it. I, uh, I, I hope it works out and good luck. I love this crystal because from the outside, someone could see you in the New York times and think, oh, it must be nice for her. I wish I could be in the New York Times, but this is the bit that we don't see, is it? This is the the, the nerve-wracking bit or the, the boring bit. We've already in, emailed maybe half a dozen art directors, not had any responses, and you think, well, maybe I won't send any more. But actually, if you persist and if you follow up, mm -hmm. like you say, that's when the, you only need one person to say yes and, and have coffee and, and come up with a commission and something magical's happened. And that is the key word, actually, um, is persistence. Uh, that is, I think, 60% of this job <laughs> is, is being persistent and, uh, you know, reaching out to that potential client, following up a couple of weeks later, a couple months later, follow up with new work. And then a couple months later after that, follow up with more work and more work and and just keep emailing until until you get a response. Wow. I can I can feel the fear down the pipes from iTunes, people listening to this and thinking. <laughs> yeah, well, and I was there too with that fear. So <laughs> Yeah, well that's that's great, but you're doing it anyway, right? Yeah. And also, could you maybe just say a little bit about how to make an email that's that's going to connect with them rather than because everyone's fear I know is going to be, well, I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to be spammy. How do you craft an email that is likely more likely to get their attention and get a response yeah so first of all it needs to be concise you know nobody's going to read two paragraphs of uh you know of, of what you want to say so you need to be concise you also need to be very personal because you know the reality is that a lot of these people get spam emails mm -hmm. from you know different agents and what have you um so you know a way that i like to do it is hey i really loved that illustration that you commissioned, you know, for, for this one article or, you know, or something like that, do a little bit of research before. Um, so you know what to write. Um, obviously, you know, tell them what you're about and, you know, in like a nice concise sentence, um, you know, for, for me, it's, um, you know, I specialize in, in brand marketing and, and product illustration. Um, and obviously a link to your portfolio, a couple of images um, that show, uh, you know, that relate to, uh, to what they do um, always helps. And uh, yeah, and, and that's it. And just be personable. Brilliant. Thank you, Crystal. That's a great challenge and a, a really enlightening interview. So if somebody's listening to this and they would like to know more about you and your work, where should they go online? Uh, just to um, my website, crystallauk.com, where you could really find uh, me on Twitter or Instagram, just with the same handle, just my name, Crystal Lauk. And that's Crystal with a K and L-A-U-K is, is Lauk. And obviously, we'll, as usual, we will put all the notes in the 
in the show notes for this episode. So, Crystal, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this, and uh, I know my listeners will enjoy it too. Well, thank you so much for the honor. You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show, as well as all the backlist episodes of the podcast, at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, then I hope you'll subscribe in iTunes, and I'm always grateful for your reviews, and also for sharing the show with your friends and followers. If you'd like my help applying the ideas in the show to your own situation, you're welcome to join us in the 21st Century Creative Patreon group at patreon.com slash the 21st Century Creative. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. And I'll be in touch with you as soon as I've reviewed your answers. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.